0: Well, there is a lot of talk right now in the world about justice, and a lot of it is very ugly. There are a couple of reasons that some of that talk is so ugly. Uh, One of those reasons is that underneath all of our talk about justice are hearts that are crying out for justice. Behind every word that is spoken about justice is a heart that is crying out for justice that is not there. Now, when we talk about justice, we are talking about a world where everyone does what is right and a world where society works the way it is supposed to work and a world where the government does what it is supposed to do. And when we don't see that, when we see something that contradicts that, we cry out for it. We want it to be different. We get incensed. We get angered. And sometimes that leads to verbal cries for something that we wish were there. When you're driving and you're sitting at a traffic light and you wait for it to turn green and then it turns green and then that one last car goes across the intersection and runs the red light and almost hits you and you get mad, right? You might lay on your horn because you've seen somebody do something that they weren't supposed to do. It's inconvenienced you for a moment. It's endangered you. And you said that you're not supposed to do that, right? Your heart is crying out for a just world, a world where everybody does what is right and what they're supposed to do. And this is true at the level of society, too. When society isn't working the way it's supposed to work, we cry out for justice together. A, a factory worker might go to a factory and, uh, where he works, and let's say he makes paper at his job, and he just wants to go to work and make paper that the rest of the world can use and make a good salary and go home, right? That's how it should work, and yet there are so many obstacles, right? Managers who are corrupt higher level people who are full of greed, laws that keep getting written that make it more and more difficult to do business. And by the end of it, this worker is just frustrated and ready to scream. Like, I just wanna do my job well and go home with money in my pocket. That's not too much to ask of the system, but it doesn't work right. And so he gets frustrated. He's crying out for justice. He wants the world to work the way that the world is supposed to work. Some of you have worked in the education system before and you just wanna teach kids, right? But the system is so difficult to work with, and you've got some feelings in your heart about that. Your heart's crying out for justice. Some of you have worked in the foster system, and you just want to help kids, right? But the system is so broken. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. Your heart is crying out for justice when you feel these things. You want society to work the way it's supposed to work. Now, that's true at the individual level. That's true at the level of society, It's true of government too, right? We want the government to do their job and do what they're supposed to do. Uh, So when a a 17-year-old black man is pulled over for looking suspicious he's going to cry out for justice, right? He's going to be upset, right? I I shouldn't be profiled like that because of the way I look, pulled over and treated this way by a police officer. What's he crying out for there? He's crying out for, for justice, for the government to do their work without partiality as they're supposed to do. So when we've got a world full of people who have a picture of what it's supposed to be like, and then we see that people don't do what they're supposed to do, and society doesn't do what it's supposed to do, and the government's not doing what it's supposed to do, our hearts cry out for justice like this, and sometimes crying is pretty ugly, right? And so our conversations about justice get ugly. That's why you're seeing what you're seeing on social media right now. That's why you're seeing what you're seeing in the public square right now, because that talk about justice is a cry from the heart for justice. And there's yet another reason that that conversation gets ugly, and that's that we can't even agree on what right and wrong are, right? We can't even agree as a people as to whether there is a such thing as right and wrong. And so when we talk about people doing the right thing and society doing the right thing and government doing the right thing, we can't even agree on what we're talking about, right? We have very different pictures of what a just world would look like because we have very different pictures of right and wrong, And so that means that here in Greenwood, you have neighbors who feel very deeply that justice looks like a rainbow flag. And you have neighbors here in Greenwood who feel very deeply that justice looks like a Confederate flag. And you have people who feel very deeply that justice looks like the way the American flag looked the day we won World War II, and if we could just get back there. And all these other competing pictures of a just world, which don't even bother with flags. Now, you get visions for the world that are that different, and you put them together in the public square, and what's going to happen? We're going to be in each other's way, right? What's in the way of my vision for justice? People like you who think differently, right? And so we're going to get together, and it's going to be ugly. So the talk about justice these days is ugly talk. It's coming from cries in the heart for justice, and it's coming from people who have very different pictures of what a good and well-ordered world would look like. I wonder if for every single one of us in the room today, if we could say that that talk about justice has caused us stress in the last year. I wonder how many of us in this room have lost sleep over someone doing the wrong thing in the last year, or society not working like it's supposed to work in the last year, or over a political or government issue in the last year. What percentage of us have lost sleep over some justice issue in the last year? Well, into all of that ugly talk and into our hearts that are stressed by both the talk and the injustices that we see around us. The Lord speaks this morning. He speaks a word of hope. He says, I I know how to bring a just world. And he says, I show you today how I will bring it. We're going to look in Isaiah 42 this week and next week. This week, we're going to talk about where we can look for justice that would bring some resolution and satisfaction to all the tension and stress in our hearts about these issues. And next week, we'll look at how Christians can help to make the world a little bit more just. So we read both weeks, Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. Let's look together at the words of the Lord. The prophet says, Behold my servant, "'Whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street.' A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in all the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. The words of the Lord. What we have in these words, church, is a call to look to Jesus Christ for justice. Israel in these days was crying out for a just world like us. And like us, they had many misconceptions as to what a just world would look like. And like us, they were looking in many of the wrong places for it. The Lord speaks to them, you just wait, Israel. I will send someone who will bring justice. So this week, we're going to focus on verses 1 through 4, which tell us where to look for justice, and more importantly, who to look to for justice. Next week, we'll focus on verses 2 and 3, where he tells us something of the manner of how will this person bring forth justice when he comes, from which we learn a lot about our efforts to make the world a little more just. This week, then, we look at verses 1 and 4. And we have two points to learn from them. The first one fixes a lot of our misconceptions about what justice is. Now, remember, I said earlier that part of the problem here is that we all have different pictures of what a good and perfect world would look like, right? We've got some that are waving this flag and some that are waving that flag, all these competing visions for what is right. Because we are not a people who agree on what right is and what wrong is, or even if there is a right or a wrong. Well, our first point today gives us a solution to that and allows us to come together to define right and wrong and define what a well-ordered world would look like. We'll see it in two places, first in verse one and second in verse four. Look at verse one first. Now I'm going to read verse one again and I'm going to ask the question afterwards. You can look for it now. Whose justice will this person bring when he brings? That's the question I'm going to ask. Verse one says, behold my servant, so this is God's servant, Whom I uphold, so God is the one who upholds this person's authority. My chosen, so God is the one who elected him. In whom my soul delights, so God is pleased with him. And I have put my spirit upon him. So there's five things about this person who is going to bring justice for us. Now, if he is God's servant, and God is the one that upholds his authority and God is the one who elected him, and God is the one who delights in him, and God is the one whose spirit is upon him, whose justice is this servant going to bring? The servant of the one he looks up to, right? Sorry, the justice of the one he looks up to. He is going to bring God's justice to us. Not my picture of justice, not your picture of justice. He's going to bring God's picture of justice. And so from that, we can gain our first point this morning. The only true justice is God's justice. This means that whatever our picture of a just and good world is, we must bring it into conformity with God's picture of a good and just world. Now, how do we find what that picture looks like? Well, we see that in verse four and we see the point iterated a different way in verse four. Verse four says, he will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in all the earth. And then it says that in a second way, and until the coastlands wait for his law. So look at the parallel statement here in these last two lines. He's establishing justice in all the earth and stated a different way, the coastlands, the ends of the earth are waiting for something. What are they waiting for? His law. Law. So justice comes then when his law is established, taught, received, and enforced in all of the earth. That's justice. God's laws are justice. So this means the only true justice is God's justice and the only way we can find it is by looking to God's good ways. We must take our definition of right and wrong or our refusal to accept that there is such a thing as right and wrong and put it under God's ways to say, we, we will learn your ways, God. We will follow after your ways. And we want the world to be ordered along your ways. What's best for human flourishing? God's ways, the ways of the one who designed humanity. This is the only way we could ever find justice. This is the only law that we could ever submit to when we find justice. And that means that the only thing that will ever bring justice, the laws of God, right? The ways of God, is also the very thing that the human heart rejects and hates. Do you see the position this puts us in? We are crying out for justice, right? We are craving justice. And yet the justice we long for can only come if we would receive the laws of God which we despise so much. For instance... If you're, let's say you're talking with your neighbor and there's some drama in your homeowner's association. So you're talking about the drama. Can you imagine how your neighbor would respond if you said, well, I think what our homeowner's association needs is for the laws of God to be enforced by an unquestioned ruler with a scepter. How's your neighbor going to respond to that? right? Because we have it in our hearts to revile against God's ways and revile against God's laws. The last thing we want is God's laws forced upon us by a ruler who rules in unquestioned power, and yet that is the only way the justice we long for will ever come. And so the very thing we're longing for only comes at the hands of the very thing that we abhor. What a pitiful position that we are in. The world is unjust, because we have broken God's laws, because we abhor and we hate God's ways. There was no injustice in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve dwelled together with God in harmony. It was not until we broke his ways. It's not until we violated the promises that he made to us that we found injustice and sorrow and oppression in the world. And still to this day, why is it there in the world? Because we are a people who have rebelled against God and who have spurned God's ways The injustice we see in the world is the price of our rebellion against God as we harm and cheat each other. And that means that that definition of justice I gave you earlier, we need to tweak and refine it. Uh, I said earlier a definition of justice that I think most people would agree on, right? Everybody doing what's right, society working the way it's supposed to work, government doing their job. Now, that's kind of a vague definition because we disagree on what's right, right? So, now we can fix that, right? All right, justice comes on the individual level when everyone walks in God's ways. Justice comes to a society when we order it along God's good ways for human flourishing and we celebrate together what God calls good. Justice comes in the government when the laws square with the law of God and when they are enforced fairly without partiality. This is what Martin Luther King said, As actually he wrote as he sat in a jail in Birmingham. He said, a just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. This is the difference between just laws and unjust laws. Do they square with the laws of the God who is in heaven or do they not? So that's that's what we're taking from God as our definition of justice. Everyone walking in God's ways, society doing what it is supposed to do, or so doing go celebrating what God celebrates, and ordered along God's ways, and laws that square with God's law. Let me apply that on all three of those levels. Individuals who walk in God's ways. There's, there's a story in the Bible of a man named Joseph. And he's engaged to a woman. Some of you are so familiar, you know, you know where I'm going with this. He's engaged to a woman. Uh, and he learns that the woman he's engaged to has become pregnant. And so he knows it's not his child. This woman must have been unfaithful to him before they even got married. Uh, which means that she must not have been entering the marriage covenant, even intending to keep the covenant she was about to make with him, right? She's about to enter into marriage already not keeping the promises and never intending to keep them in the future. This man feels as betrayed as a man really can feel. The woman that he loved and cherished, not only cheating on him, but about to enter into marriage with no intention of keeping her promises. And in his hurt, he also is in a position where he has a lot of power over her because he could divorce her publicly, and make a big spectacle about it and heap up so much shame upon her and the child that they would be ruined forever. So he can get her back for what he thinks that she has done to him. But he doesn't do that. Uh, The book of Matthew says that he was unwilling to put her to shame and so he decided to do do the divorce quietly so so that she wouldn't be ruined, so that she could go on and try to live a flourishing life with this child that was now inside of her. So here's a man who's in a position where he could really hurt somebody, but he has written on his heart and he knows from reading the book of Deuteronomy, right? love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Don't look down on your brothers and sisters in Israel. Love your enemies. Pray for those who have hurt you. And so here's a man who has an opportunity to get vengeance on this woman he thinks has betrayed him and he doesn't do it. Instead, he acts with love for her. Now, here's why I tell you that. Matthew says that the reason he did that was because he was a just man, it says. Not a blameless man, not a righteous man, a just man. A just person is someone who walks in God's ways all the time. That's that first level of justice. That corrects many of us who are fighting for justice in the public square. How many of us who are trying to bring justice to the government, who are trying to bring justice to society Are not walking in God's ways ourselves. Here is a warning for those of us who would fight for justice and yet are unwilling to obey the commands to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, yet are unwilling to live in sexual purity. Here's a warning for those of us that would like to see justice in the world but are unwilling to obey God's laws ourselves. If we are fighting for justice for other people and not living it ourselves, we are living in hypocrisy. What we must do is turn from our sin and then begin to fight for justice in the public square. We can't can't fight for God's justice out there if we aren't fighting for God's justice in here and walking in our ways, his ways, ourselves. So, here's the first level. Let me apply it on the two other levels, right? For society, society is just when it's ordered along God's ways and when it celebrates what God calls good. And so, that means a just society looks to God and says, okay, God, who's in charge? How are we supposed to treat each other? What are these relationships supposed to be like? How do we do this? And we set our relationships that way, And we find there a profound example of how much each of us and the world around us wants to spurn the law of God because he has made the world with a structure, right? He's designed the home with a structure of fatherhood and motherhood and children and different roles that everyone plays, but how we abhor his design that he has given us, how we abhor even the thought that he has put order in the world and that I could have a role that is assigned to me, we rear back against that. Well, let, me, let me give you an example. Imagine, imagine if we had a social justice conference here at Calvary, and we invited everybody, and they all came. So the owners of the businesses came, the mayor came, the people that were at the Pride event last week, they came. Everybody packs in here, and they're eager to hear about justice and how we can have social justice. And imagine I take this Bible here, and I read Ephesians 5, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. What would happen in the room as I did that, right? Right? We would see how much the world abhors God's design when we did something like that. This is just one example of how the justice we crave can only come when we will turn from our sin and embrace God's ways that we hate so much. This is just one example of how our hearts are kicking back against the one thing that would be good for us, which is the good ways of a God who loves us and designed the world to flourish. Now, there is a structure that God has given to the home, and when we live it out, people flourish. When the husband loves his wife and his children like Christ loves the church, and the wife follows her husband's leadership like the church follows Jesus, and the children raise the parents in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and the children respect and obey the parents. That is an environment where people flourish. That is a home design that is given by God and is good for people. And yet, we would kick back against it, wouldn't we? Now, how can we expect to bring justice in the world as long as we are kicking back against God's ways? we We are refusing to order ourselves along God's ways. And we cannot hope for justice in the world around us as long as we refuse that. Another picture of it I'll spend less time on because I think you're probably very familiar with it. A, A good society would celebrate what God calls good and thank him for it, right? And that means that the music that we make, the unwritten rules that we write as a culture, the TV programs that we would make, they would call good what God calls good and they would call evil what God calls evil, And I got to tell you, I opened up Spotify a week or two ago because I wanted to hear like what are the most popular songs that people are listening to right now. And I fired up the very first song and I think it was within 30 seconds, I think it was three F words and four N words that I heard, the most popular song in the country right now. And I turned it off because I couldn't bear it. This is not a society that calls good what God calls good. Right. This is a society that claims to be fighting for racial justice and, and claims to be fighting for victims of abuse, and yet is entertained by language like that. Now, as long as we are refusing to celebrate what God calls good, how can we hope to bring justice into our society? No, a just society celebrates what God calls good and orders itself along God's good ways because we look to God in reverence. And thirdly, at the level of government, a just government would square with God's laws and would enforce them the way God wants them enforced without partiality. And we've seen this violated throughout our entire history, right? I spoke earlier of, you know, a young man who gets pulled over because he looks suspicious, because his skin is dark, right? And this police officer discriminating against him for how he looks. He's going to cry out for justice because that's not just. Why is that not just? Well, because all through the Old Testament and in the New Testament too, God says in his law that he hates partiality, right? He wants, he wants the small and the great heard alike. He wants people who look different and sound different and do different things to be judged alike. As Martin Luther King said it well, I have a dream that my children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, right? He's craving for impartiality in justice and in judgment, so we look at that habit that our society has and a history before that of allowing one group to vote and not allowing another group to vote, right, so that they could not elect rulers that would stand up for them so that they would continue to be oppressed. We say, that's partiality. We, we, we weren't doing it right. We aren't doing it right. And back in the days of our founding, this was even worse. Uh, God says in his law in Exodus 21, uh, that anyone who kidnaps somebody else to enslave them uh, or anybody caught with that person who had been kidnapped and enslaved should be put to death. It's called man-stealing is the word for it. And it was a capital crime in the Old Testament law. If you did something like that, even if you bought somebody who had been kidnapped and you had them as your slave put to death under Old Testament law. First Timothy chapter 1 lists the same sin, man-stealing, among other really abhorrent sins, like perjury and murder and striking your mother and father and things like this. And after that says that everything on the list is contrary to the gospel, contrary to sound doctrine. So that this is practice of kidnapping people and enslaving them and then selling them or buying them, condemned by death under the Old Testament law, and called contrary to the gospel in the New Testament. And yet, our heroes, our founders that gathered together and wrote largely very just laws in this one area had this tremendous blind spot. And so we have to look back and say, for some of our heroes, for some of my heroes, if they were alive during Old Testament Israel instead of alive in the new world, they would have been executed. If their pastors had submitted to the scriptures fully, their pastors would have confronted them. And if they refused to repent of man stealing, would have had to remove them from church membership. And we would have a great many founders who had been excommunicated from their churches because we have a history of injustice like this in our country now. Now, we've been hidden many blessings by those same people, and a century or so later, we were able to make that right or begin to make that right with more just laws. But I say that because I know many of you look at what's going on around us, and we see problems in society right now. I guess I've already played my cards. I see problems in society right now. With that is a temptation to look back on past days as if they were better, as if those were the days when we were a just society. But, friends, we were not a just society then, and we are not a just society now. Now, justice comes not by looking backwards on a golden day, but by looking upwards to the one who will come and who will bring justice for everyone. So, there it is applied in those three ways, to the individual, to society, and to government. So the point there is that the justice you crave is God's laws, right? What do the coastlands wait for in Isaiah? They wait for his laws. And when they come, we rejoice because justice is finally here when we live under his rule and when we live under his ways. Now, as I talk about that, I hope that what is welling up in your heart is just the sense of lament and regret that how are we ever gonna make this world just, right? We got it wrong at the start when we started our country. We had it wrong halfway through. We have it wrong now. Are we ever going to get it right? Is the world ever gonna be the way that it is supposed to be? And I hope that's where you are right now because our second point gives you hope and shows you where to look. If you long to live in a perfect and just world, I wanna give you hope this morning from these same verses. So verse one, verse three, and verse four say that this servant will faithfully bring forth justice. Whoever this person is that these verses are talking about it, when he comes, he will bring that justice that your heart craves. He will make right everything that is wrong in the world. So what I want to do next is actually flip over to Matthew chapter 12. And if you would, if you've got a Bible with you, flip there with me. If not, I'll tell you what's going on. So you remember Joseph. We talked about Joseph earlier, right? And the book of Matthew starts off with that story about Joseph. Well, many of you know the story, and I'm wearing it out by telling it, but that baby that Joseph's fiance was pregnant with, it turned out that she had not been unfaithful to him. Uh, It turned out that she had conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that an angel beforehand told her that it would happen, and that when the baby came, she was to name it Jesus, and that this Jesus would save his people from their sins. And so the angel appears to Joseph and tells Joseph the same thing, and so he calls off the divorce and proceeds, goes ahead and marries her. Mary becomes the world's only virgin mother. She conceives and bears a child without ever knowing a man. And this child is named Jesus, and he happens to be the one that the book of Matthew is about. And what I want to show you in Matthew 12 is that today's sermon text is quoted in its entirety to refer to this Jesus who comes to bring justice. Verse 15, you can see Jesus' name there. Jesus, aware of this, and then he does some things which we'll look more into next week. And verse 17 says that what Jesus did in that moment was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And then you can see today's entire sermon text, the whole thing quoted. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is pleased. We could go through the whole thing. So the point is, Isaiah 42, one through four, Matthew tells us here, is about Jesus. The servant who would come and who would bring justice, his name was Jesus. And he was more than a man. He was a man, but he was God and robed in the flesh. And he lived a perfect life and offered himself as a payment for sins to conquer sin and death and all of its effects. He rose triumphantly from the grave after he died this death to demonstrate that he had power over sin and he had power over death, and the sacrifice that he offered was sufficient to save us from our sins and from all of their effects, including our need for forgiveness for the injustices in our hearts, including our craving for justice in the world. And so what I want to proclaim to you this morning is that I know your heart longs for justice— and you may or may not know that you need forgiveness for the injustices in your own hearts. What Jesus does is offers to us both for all who would place their faith in him. You need forgiveness for your own sins. You desire justice all throughout the world. If you'd like to receive that forgiveness, and be there on Jesus' side the day when he brings justice to the whole earth, what you must do is turn from sin and trust in him. Place your faith in him, and you will find there both forgiveness and justice that is to come. And so that is our second point. Jesus is the servant of God who brings justice to the whole earth. Jesus is the servant of God who brings justice to the whole earth. So you want justice... You need forgiveness. Do not look to the new variations of Marxism that are floating around to find it. Do not look to Christian nationalism to find it. Do not look to the past to find it because none of those things defeated sin for you. Only one person defeated sin for you. If you want justice, place all of your hope and all of your faith in him you're going to ask, okay, how does he bring justice? He already came and he left, and the place is still messed up, right? Like, what's going on? Uh, There's two ways that Jesus brings justice, and we'll run through those, and then we'll be done for the morning. First, well, there's one perfect way he will do it forever, and then an imperfect way he's doing it now. We'll talk about the perfect way he will do it forever first. He left after he rose from the dead. Forty days later, he ascended up into heaven. He promised to return, And we have promises throughout the New Testament and in Revelation that when he comes, he will come back as king, as king who rules visibly across the whole earth. He will raise the dead and the dead who are in him will be welcomed into his kingdom. The dead who refused him will be cast into the lake of fire forever, which means those who have oppressed his people will be cast away forever. His people will live under his rule, free from harassment for all eternity in a world that is fixed. That finally works the way that it is supposed to work under a just government. Now the coastlands wait for his laws, right? This is the day when they will find it, when all of the earth will find his rules perfectly. Throughout creation, that is the day when we will rejoice, look around, and say, We have finally arrived at that perfectly just world that is on our hearts and has been on our hearts the whole time. Friends, what your heart is longing for, it comes the day that Jesus returns. And if your hope is in Him, you're going to rejoice when He comes back because you're going to finally find the justice that you longed for. In that hope, so many who have been oppressed through history have looked and rejoiced. Uh, Did you know that in the days of slavery, uh, slaves began to gather in what are now, well, I guess you might say that the roots and the beginnings of the black church, that they gathered together to hear a message of hope that what their masters were telling them was not true, but instead the truth is that God loves the oppressed, The truth is that God liberated Israel from slavery in Egypt. The truth is that God loves you and will rescue you. And you know where they got that message? Right here in this book. As it was opened and proclaimed to them by faithful men who said, God has not overlooked you. He will remember you. In the name of Jesus, so many of them found forgiveness for their sins and hope for a day when they would not be oppressed. And what I want to tell you is that you can have the same thing that they were offered and many received in those days. Hope for freedom from oppression. Are you afraid that people will rise to power in the United States and oppress you? You can have hope for freedom for that one day by the power of Jesus Christ who will come and who will return for those who trust in him. The ends of the earth wait for his commandments. So that's the first way, actually, the the perfect and eternal way he will bring justice. He will return for his people and he will establish justice throughout the whole world through his government, his enforcement of his own laws. The other way he does it is imperfect and is happening right now. Now, remember, justice comes when Jesus' commands, when God's commands are brought to places, right? The coastlands wait for his laws, right? Well, when he left, he said to his disciples, I want you to go and I want you to proclaim my gospel to all the nations, right? Go to the ends of the earth and proclaim my gospel and teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, right? So we proclaim the gospel and to those that receive the gospel, we teach his commandments, right? And where do we go as we do that? To the ends of the earth, right? Right? So the coastlands that are waiting for his law, the ends of the earth that are waiting for his law, they find it when ministers of the gospel come to their land, proclaim the gospel to their land, and begin teaching Jesus' commandments in their land. Justice comes now when the ways of Jesus are taught by missionaries throughout the world, in churches throughout the world, in that kid's wing this morning, when his ways are taught and people begin to embrace them society becomes just a little bit more just. This isn't perfect because the people who are being saved are still sinners and they still do awful things because that's what sinners do, but we get a little bit more just as we embrace the gospel and receive his teachings. That is why you can trace the spread of the gospel through the globe by tracing not the message itself, but the number of hospitals and schools that were built in its wake Because as a land receives the gospel, begins to receive good and flourishing ways that are good for people. Then some of those people perhaps come in power and the laws of the land become more just and the society becomes more just and the people become more righteous. Suddenly, the whole land starts to flourish a little bit better and boom, there's a university. Boom, there's a hospital. This has been happening for 2,000 years as the gospel has spread through the world. In its wake have been built hospitals. In its wake have been more flourishing, though not perfect societies. In its wake have been more schools and more educated people this is only a glimpse of the good that a gospel, the gospel can bring to a society and to a people. And that means that if you want to make the world a more just place, if you want to fight for justice in the world, there's hardly a better thing that you can do than walk back to the children's wing and teach Jesus' ways to our children. You want to see the next generation live more justly? Teach His ways to our children. Teach his ways to your children. Find a 15-year-old and mentor him in the ways of the gospel. Find a 25-year-old and share the gospel with him and see if he comes to Christ and begins learning his ways. You want to see society become more just. We don't do it through anger. We don't do it through erupting. We don't do it through arguing. We do it by bringing the gospel and Jesus' ways to the world around us. And that is why we are so focused on our mission of making disciples, training disciples, and sending disciples. I was just back there in the kids' wing this morning. And they started Sunday school again, by the way, uh, for kids this week. And when I went there, there was construction tape over the door. And they said, oh, you can't come through here. There's a detour. And so I had to go around and in the other room and through, right? Because there's this like fake detour to not get me in there. And I got in and I said, okay, you know, we're hiding here because We're doing something illegal. We're reading the Bible in English. They were pretending it was the days of the Reformation. And there were wanted posters up on the wall, wanted by order of the Pope, Martin Luther, for proclaiming the gospel in German, and wanted uh, William Tyndale and Wycliffe and all these heroes of the Reformation wanted by the Pope. All this wonderful imagination to remember what it was like when proclaiming the gospel in the tongue of the people and translating the Bible into the tongue of the people was illegal. Our kids learning the glories of the word of God. God, I want to tell you, you may not think of it this way, but that work is justice work. as we teach the commandments of Jesus to children, raise them up in the rays of righteousness. Those of you that worked in VBS this week, did you know that you were doing justice work as you taught the Lord's ways to our children? What do the coastlands wait for? What do the ends of the earth wait for? What do they long for? His laws, His commandments, His ways. There is no man-made ideology by which we will find justice. There is no false reading of history by which we will find justice. No, only in the ways of Jesus Christ can we find justice. And so my call to you this morning is exactly what the prophet says through Isaiah. The first word is behold, which means look. Open your eyes and gaze upon the Lord's servant who brings justice. I know your heart longs for it. Hopefully you're aware of your own injustice and your need for sin. Will you heed the words of the prophet, behold the servant of God who will come and who will bring justice? Will you place your hope in him and will you look upon him? That's my call to you. Let's pray together.